This episode brought to you by the award-winning Sandy Gray Gin, distilled and produced on the gorgeous cradle coast of Tasmania and gold medal winners at the 2023 San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Here we are, episode three, chapter three. Now, was it just me or did this episode seem to focus on loss again? It was Carrie and her grief about Big. It was Seema and her grief over losing her prized Birkin. Lisette losing all her jewellery. Miranda losing her mind over a robot tattoo. And Charlotte losing her dignity over a stupid MILF list. Bless her cotton socks. All of the loss in this episode... And joining me to try and make sense of it all is fellow Sex and the City superfan, interior design guru, TV presenter, and now movie producer extraordinaire, Shana Blaze. Welcome back, Shana. Hi, Sammy. I thought you summed that up perfectly. <laughs> Do we even need to talk? Like, oh, the yeah. loss of everything, but then it's proper grief, then it's, you know, fanciful loss, and then, you know, I think... Charlotte losing her dignity just is absolutely perfect. I can't wait to deep dive. I know. I really don't want to talk about the MILF list, but we kind of have to. Hey, what are your thoughts on season two so far? I think they're trying to shove too much in each episode. I've actually gone back to a couple of original from the series and there was always one slightly serious storyline and everything else that was just thread and it took its time and it took you through the journey, whereas I feel like they're trying to shove too many storylines down our throat to keep us entertained rather than us going with it. Definitely last episode, Ep2 had, I couldn't even keep track of all the storylines that were going on. They've toned it down a little bit this Ep, but mm. yeah. Thoughts on um, Aiden and Samantha's highly publicised returns for this series? Samantha, I'm hoping she has some interaction with Carrie because in reality, those two had the strongest relationship. So if there's no interaction with them face-to-face on the same screen, because there's apparently only one scene, it would be very tokenist. And Aiden, I think, is just always her fallback. And I feel sorry for Aiden in that sort of way, is that when it goes wrong for her, she's got, well, Aiden's always there. And then she looks him up again. And it's like... Oh, poor Aiden. <laughs> I feel the same. Look, I, I think all the Aiden fans will be hoping for fireworks and the love story to continue, but I don't think mm. she, I think she just strings him along. Or yeah. maybe she won't. Maybe she will have the maturity this time to go, look, it's just not there for us, but let's be friends. We'll yeah. see. Anyway, yeah. let's chat episode three. Starting off with Carrie recording the audio version of her book, her new book, Loved and Lost. She's clearly struggling to read it. Jeez, that would be difficult to do. A year after the death of your husband. It's pretty brave of her to even attempt, I thought. You know what? I think if the episode was just that scene, I would have been happy because I feel like it summed up everything. I have to say the writing, you know, we're we're looking at the writer's strike and the actor's strike at the moment and this is what's about good writing because that was damn good writing and it was damn good acting like her standing there shaking her head in in just such a simple way of her just I can't believe it I can't acknowledge it 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 won't go away like it was just every emotion possible and if anyone has gone through any sort of grief I think they honored it really well and as you said like it was raw and I just felt this was possibly the most real Sex in the City scene of the old that I have felt so far. I agree. The second scene when they came back to her trying to get through that chapter and she's reliving that moment when she finds Big and she breaks down. 
I was bawling, Shana, like genuine, uncontrollable tears. And yes, yes, because I've had my own grief experience over the last 12 months and I don't know if it was just that, but also SJP is so good in those moments. And I have felt so disconnected from the script and the storylines and the characters through this series so far in many moments, but I love that there are still moments like this where I can have that connection so, yeah. and I, I think that's where it also goes deeper in the in the fact of like you know they did it so well like you know they went to the screen and showed the words blurring and then bold and and it's also that naivety of how could she think that she could say that out loud because <laughs> writing is private writing is one thing but it's it's like anything when you say it and you speak it it's a whole different thing and even like the line and like you would know this as a journalist is that. You know, she's saying, oh, that line, can we change it? It's clunky because you get scripts and it reads really well. But unless you, until you verbalise it, you go, oh, that doesn't actually work. So she had written it. For me, that was, the words were perfectly fine. It was just her looking at excuses to get out of it. Mm. So after the recording, Carrie's walking down the street with the fabulous bright pink Fendi baguette. Did you notice that? It's come back. I did notice oh, that. Fabulous. Very Barbie. <laughs> very Barbie, very on trend. And she runs into Bitsy Von Muffling. Oh, no. <laughs> Best name ever, Bitsy. Bitsy Von Muffling. I mean, Bitsy's enough, but let's add Von Muffling in there. Yeah. They discuss being widows and grief and getting through that first year. And of, of all the people, you would you would not expect Bitsy Von Muffling to offer the little pearl of wisdom the hole never fills, but new life will grow around it. That was beautiful. Yeah. And I think what, you know, what made it so good is you don't expect it from her, you know, that sense of wisdom. And then she was still that fluffy character at the same time. And then she just turned around and said, I'm faking it. You know, when you're going through some heavy grief to get out of bed, to, to keep going, you do have to fake it for a while because if you don't fake it, you will never get out of bed. So I just thought those little words of wisdom from, you know, it can never be filled, but you can still have life. You can still have good things. It's not instant. And it could take, you know, when she said the first year is probably the easiest because you've got so much help. You don't have to do your routine. But once you get into that second year, you're expected to just start your routine, do what you know, get back into it. And her saying the second year is the hardest you know, yeah. the way we're pulling this apart is what we used to do so much in Sex and the City and I don't feel like I've had those moments on episode one and two. Mm. They're good with the light and shade. Like, as you say, the, the heavy moments of the grief, the weightiness of that conversation, but at the same time she's sitting there with a slightly red lip from her lip wax and she's talking about her $100,000 facelift, <laughs> which was fabulous. And then she says, you've got to do whatever you've got to do to make yourself feel good. And in perfect comedic timing, cut to cashed up Carrie, crashing through the door with bags full of shoes, shoes and more shoes. That that was one of those classic Sex in the City moments that I love. Uh, I loved it. And you know what I discovered, which I had never seen, like there was, a, I had to watch it twice and then I didn't really realise till later that she had like this little red sausage that was like a ball and she Go back and have a look at it. So she's talking to Miranda and she's got her putting her slide on or a shoe and she puts it in between. So she's stretching the strap and I'm going, oh, yeah, the shoes are a bit too tight, but I'm going to make it fit. And I went, oh, I quite like that. I've never seen that thing before. I know what you're talking about, but is that something that she's just grabbed out of her kitchen to use or is that an actual item that you can buy that's designed to stretch your shoes? 
It almost sure. looked like a balloon filled with beanbag stuff or something really soft and malleable that would sort of change the shot. I don't know, but I'm going to Google it. I'm okay, telling you now. Okay, me too. Um, <laughs> I, look, I'm glad that it's like Miranda with her AA. Uh, I'm glad that they haven't just with Big's death kind of just gone, he's gone now, he's out, move on. Like grief is, as we're mm. discussing, it is something that continues and I think they've handled the grief subject in this episode really beautifully. Um, I agree. And I don't think it's just the reading of the book that's affecting Carrie. I think it's also combined with the the fact that she split up with Franklin. You know, he was a lovely distraction there for a little bit. And now that he's gone, like she's really alone and maybe missing mm. big more. So she's had a bit of a grief relapse or something. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, that that hole that you can't fill because she has got the flowers around her basically with all her beautiful friends, but there's just that that missing moment. But shoes always work for her. (laughs) (laughs) They always help. But of course, she then fakes COVID. So she doesn't have to go back to reading the audio book. I liked this reference to COVID. I thought it felt really current. It touched on the fact that some people just never got COVID, which is a really relevant conversation I'm having with a lot of people. There has been some criticism, Shana, of this episode where they say, oh, why do you keep talking about COVID? We don't need to. But we can't just pretend that it didn't happen and that it doesn't still exist. I don't mind those references to COVID. Are you over it? Uh, no, I, no, I'm not because it's real, because it's there. So to pretend it's not there is really dismissing, one, the trauma we've been through <laughs> and the reality that what you've still, you know, something like a pandemic doesn't just happen in a couple of years and you wash your hands that yeah. was quite funny. Wash your hands in it. <laughs> I see what but you did there. there. But wow. FYI, I am now faking COVID whenever I want to get out of anything. Between my dog is sick and sorry I have COVID, I never have to go to anything I don't want to ever again. You know, and I and I think it's that thing. It's like <laughs> even if you don't say COVID, you say I've got the flu, yeah. don't come in. Anyway. It's a good avoid something because people don't ask any more questions. <laughs> it's like don't come, don't come, stay home. I love the fact that 30 seconds after Carrie ends her call with Miranda telling her she has COVID, Charlotte is calling Carrie, checking on her. Miranda's already called Charlotte and Charlotte's calling Carrie, telling her she's cooking something for her. She's already been online. She's ordered her a care basket. It was so Charlotte, wasn't it? So gorgeous. I, I love seeing her take control like that because she's she is this ditzy <laughs> character, but she's a go-getter and she takes control and she's already got the apron on and she's already baking and she's already this and she's got the kids there and she's up here and doing this and she needs those things for her to feel important. And mm. so it's like when Carrie's sick, she's got a purpose, which is just beautiful. Yeah. I'm not that friend though. <laughs> <laughs> Neither am I, but see, I'm the one on the receiving end because... You know, when you're single and you live alone, as as Carrie is now, your true besties really do look out for you and check in on you and they're there for you in those moments. So that scene for me was like, mm, that's nice. I'd like my friends to do that for me. I'll tell you what's odd, though. It was odd to me that she lied to Miranda and Charlotte about having COVID. As if you wouldn't just say to your besties, oh, my God, I've just pretended to have COVID because I don't really want to record the book. You know what? I had to – I watched it a second time to, to really sort of look at that and she didn't want to feel like she was going backwards to the two most important people in her life. She ends up saying to um, Seema that I felt bad about it. There's only so much you can tell them. So I sort of feel like she'd given her amount of grief to those people 
that she wanted to sort of share around so that she just wasn't dumping on these mm. two people. That's sort of how I ended up seeing it. Yeah. And um, I can get that. Because I, I do remember that conversation with Seema where she's talking about, you know, is there a limit on how much grief you can ask your friends to support? Yeah. So I guess maybe if she had told them the reason she's faking the COVID is because she doesn't want to read the book because the grief is hitting her again and she yeah. just didn't want to have that conversation with them. But you know that your besties, of course, Miranda and Charlotte would do anything for her through her grief. So- but I, th- I think that's the thing with grief too. You know, when Seema's there, she's there to have drinks and cocktails. So she probably, she's the lightness yeah. that she probably didn't want to tell the other two because it would have got really heavy and dramatic and yeah. she needed that too. So, you know, that's I mean, true. we're acting like counts right now for a tv show but i think the thing is people that's are watching what we do and- shana that's why we're having this podcast <laughs> chat <laughs> and seema of course says exactly the right thing i think she says something like something horrible happened to you and you're allowed to just feel whatever you're feeling which is yeah. i love that friendship between seema and carrie it's continuing to develop but it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel unnatural it's just lovely seeing these two middle-aged women connecting do you feel like it's that, as you said, it's slowly growing and it really hit me that, ah, this is the Samantha relationship because Samantha was always just stayed above there. She only went deep, you know, maybe two or three times and she would always give pearls of wisdom, but it was always light and removed. Mm. And I sort of feel that's what Seema is doing because she's giving wisdom, but she's moving on and she's taking things lightly. And yeah. so I sort of feel filling that gap of that relationship that Samantha brought to it. Absolutely. And I've seen online there are people that get kind of a bit upset that we keep comparing Seema to Samantha. But how can you not? Like she is totally the Samantha of this series to me. Mm-hmm. That's how it appears yeah, to I me. I agree. And more of Seema. I love this episode. We got another opportunity to see Seema in her favourite place on the phone to Carrie from the back of her limo with a cigarette in hand. I mean, that that is Seema's happy place. <laughs> Right? Um, Happy dog out of the window. (laughs) But she's all in a tiz because someone stole her Birkin. And I can see why it meant so much to her. It wasn't just a handbag. She talks about how, yes, it's worth a bloody shitload of money, but she says it was her first real splurge after she had her big first real estate sale. It represented her success her independence, Mm. her work ethic. I thought, yeah, I kind of get that because I have some nice things. I don't have a $30,000 Birkin, but I have bought some expensive handbags and jewellery and no one gave them to me. I worked my ass off to buy that stuff for myself and I'm really proud of that. And for Seema, that was a Birkin bag, represented all of her hard work. That's how I read it. But it's also a case of like, you know, it's one of those things when I can't, did she say how long she had it for? Oh, she had got it at her very first big sale. So I imagine it was, yeah, 20 years old for sure. At the same time, she would have, every time she used it, she would have been like, well, you know, the the investment compared to the wear, you would get it. And I totally get it. Like, you know, when I have certain moments in my life, I either go on a holiday or I, I, I buy a thing that reminds me that means something to me. It has a special meaning. It's, like, it's not just about spending money. It's about having that connection of what it is. But I have to laugh when she turned around and said, what's this city coming to? It's like, <laughs> hasn't it always been like that? 
I think it's a bit unbelievable that she ends up finding the bag. Do they really want us to believe a $30,000 Birkin has been sitting there that whole time? It was totally exposed. No one in New York walked past a $30,000 Birkin bag and went, hmm, there's a Birkin sticking out of that bush. All I can imagine is that maybe there's quite a few vendors down the street that you know how they have the wares the out fake the ones. The fake ones. The fake ones. So maybe they thought it was a fake one. You know what? You are so right there. You would totally think that that is a fake Birkin. Who would yeah. leave a Birkin sitting under a bush? <laughs> okay, let's talk about the MILF list. Oh, God. I wish we didn't have to talk oh, about seriously. it. Seriously. Did you think it was as ridiculous as I did? I couldn't understand why they had written it that these intelligent, well-grounded women who own their space would be excited, not offended, like why would it why would a woman get excited about a teenage idiot calling them a MILF? And it's like it's so 2000. And then I looked it up in America because it's from American Pie, you know, Stifler's mum. That was, you know, in 1999. And then I thought, well, even Stifler's mum's moved on. She's in White Lotus. Like, come <laughs> on, she's grown. <laughs> I really hated that that storyline. It was unnecessary and I just thought it degraded them as characters but degraded where we've come really if it it was meant to be funny it would have been funnier if if one of them made the list and the the other didn't even then it would have been ridiculous but what was worse was that scene of all the mums lusting over that teenage high Uh school boy who wrote the list it made me feel really uncomfortable like that does not work imagine if it was all a bunch of middle-aged dads Gawking over a 15-year-old girl coming out of the principal's office. Uh Uh-uh. And and it's also one of those things that, like, you know, I I have my movie about family and domestic violence and we have Voice of Change, which is all about education and making sure that we um, look at red flags and what we do. Why they made that a funny storyline rather than the reality of what it was, and I just felt this was, it was so wrong, especially (laughs) where we are in the world today, and I just thought it was... This is all the red flags. This is about, you know, older women feeling that they're only, you know, sexy because young people think they're sexy. And it's just, it was it was wrong in every form. It was icky, icky. The yeah. only moment that I kind of had a half smile at was Lisa and Charlotte being reprimanded by the principal when they were in the in the school auditorium and the school principal, the guy who yeah. played the school principal, I was like, where do I know him from? I thought for sure he had been in series one or in the original Sex in the City. So I looked him up. Did you recognise that guy? His name's Tim Bagley and he's been in Hacks and he was in Grace and Frankie, which I love that show. And he is one of the the friends of the, um, the husband's. And he's in quite a few scenes in Grace and Frankie or Frankie and Grace. He's the neighbour. I think he's one of them. Yeah, the neighbour. And he's hilarious. So then the only kind of maybe saving grace, moving on, haha, uh, at lunch with Carrie, Charlotte, Naya and Lisa. And they're discussing the MILF list. And I thought there was that funny moment where they're like, shouldn't we be talking about abortion rights or the planet? And then they switch it up with talking about the MILF list. And then the hot audio guy texts Naya and she gets all giggly and excited because a guy's interested in her. And I wondered, was this meant to make a statement about women that we can be both? We can be flirty and silly and get excited about a text from a guy we think's hot. And we can also be serious and talk about those weighty topics. Because that's what happens at my girls' lunches. You know, we do talk about 
can you yeah. see what's going on in the States with the abortion rights? But then we can also <laughs> talk about, oh, did you go out with that guy? Like, And we're 50-year-old women. Yeah, look, I totally get that. But then I have the other side of it too. And I just, and I think it's because the lay of the land of where we are today that they really miss the mark. You know, they're talking about lots of gender equality. They're really addressing people's um, sexuality and gender identity. But the fact that beforehand they were doing recording and this guy just instantly puts his hand down her top and she doesn't object and she just stands there and like, would you let a man just stick his hand down your top? As I a saw soundie? that too. That was so weird because, Shana, you and I, for two women who yeah. have had audio techs putting microphones on and off us regularly, yeah. that situation with Naya was so wrong. That never happens. An audio guy would never right. just come up to you and stick his hand right down your. The microphone nah. is not at her belly button, buddy. It's up around her neckline. Yeah, didn't I, I didn't like that storyline at all. I totally agree that women, you know, can be giggly and, you know, still feel flattered at any age, at 80, at 90. It, it doesn't have to be that sexually offensive. And I feel like, you know, the fact that the hand down the top, no one does that. And then also the MILF list, it, it's taken us back 20 years and Sex in the City is about empowerment and that next level so I feel like I would like to scratch that storyline completely yeah it can go away yeah yeah Miranda and Che I have a question to ask you about this scene where they were running lines in the kitchen right and Che starts crying I know there's a real push already we're only three Epsi and they're desperately trying to make Che more vulnerable and likable and I'm trying really hard to look past my initial dislike for Che and feel for them. But that cry in the kitchen, I couldn't work out if it was a real cry or a fake cry. And they were just trying to show Miranda that they can cry on cue. <laughs> I, I struggle with Che and Miranda. And the only reason I struggle with it is that Miranda has become this weak, vulnerable puppy dog. And Che has so many red flags and is quite overpowering and and it's it's always on Chase terms. Yes. And now Miranda's now this ditzy, doesn't know who she is and it's all about Che and, and whatever Che wants, Miranda mm. will do. And it's I'm really struggling with that Miranda was such a strong, empowered yes. person and has turned into this again, this little disempowered teenager. Whatever happens between her and Che, I just, I feel, it feels abrasive to me. What do you think about Miranda getting the tattoo? I mean, she wants to capture this moment of how she's feeling now and she feel, she feels like she's come so far and she's discovering her true self. I kind of thought it was funny. She goes into the tattoo uh, studio and she thinks the artist Ricky is her new best friend, but he's clearly not. He's the one who suggests she get a robot tattoo. I mean, that is not a friend. A friend does not let a friend get a robot tattoo. And I think, like, you know, maybe that's key into where they're taking Miranda's character is that she's taking advice from people in La La Land. And she even said it herself, like, you know, when she was talking to Carrie, like, you know, I feel like I'm in a fantasy yeah, land. Yeah, the pretend like life or something. Yeah. Yeah. So she's she's in a world that's so far removed from the reality that she's just – feeling like, you know, if she gets a tattoo that she's this new person and doesn't want to be reminded about that other person. But it, it's almost like she wants to erase Miranda before. But then I, I find the plot really all over the shop. Yeah. Maybe it all comes to a head at the end, but I'm finding the plot for Miranda. Hard yeah. to watch. It's unhinged. 
It's unhinged. I think it's hilarious <laughs> that she tried to get a tattoo to kind of represent her new self, but then she ended up with MH, her initials. Thank God it wasn't a robot. That's all I can say. <laughs> I tell you what, when, when they brought out the Jetsons, I'm going, he's brought out a freaking maid? A maid. You want to be reminded to be a slave or you were a slave? And it was just like, well, she wasn't a slave. She was a slave to the nine to five. But the thing is, couldn't remind her about her skills of empowerment. Look, you know, I'm sorry, I'm banging on now. Because no, I but just... you're right. The robot was the dumbest tattoo idea ever. Like, I keep seeing articles suggesting Miranda's having a midlife crisis. I feel like Miranda's finding herself. That's not a crisis. It's more of an awakening, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And I think it broke my heart, her and Steve broke up. But at the same time, she discovered that she was gay. And so it was relating to her life in reality. And I Mm. thought, this is really beautiful that, you know, and there's so many people that um, we hear of now that have been married for a long time. They're married for 20 years and they end up being best friends with their partner because something was, it's not that there's something missing. It's just that they are gay. And that's, you know, they've actually found out who they are. So I totally agree that there's, this is a discovery of Miranda. And I think that's why it, it upsets me that the, her discovery has made her regress as a person rather than empowered. Yeah, I agree. Chase taping. Why was Miranda standing in a long queue to get into the taping at Warner Brothers? Wouldn't Miranda be going through the VIP entrance because she's on Chase VIP list? Because she's Chase VIP? Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of cliche in that writing of even the scene and there was a lot of cliche with the reaction to the phone and it was... Did Miranda have to queue up outside because she wanted to sit in the audience and watch it from that perspective? Like, I don't want to sit in your dressing room backstage. I want to be out there amongst it with the audience. She would have been able to go behind the scenes and then be taken to the first, you know, the front row or be given front row tickets and VIP. But I think it was another one of those moments where they showed Miranda to be an idiot. Yeah, if you were going to hide your phone, of course, you would think Miranda would have the brains to think, put it on silent or be a little smarter about it. Yeah, and that's well. That they're not showing her smart in any shape or form, and they're doing. Oh, I've got a new phone. I don't know how to work this phone, and yeah, I just yeah. I kind of got the, the phone thing where she's struggling with the new Android. Haven't you got one of those friends? Like my mum had an Android for a long time, and God, it annoyed me. I was like, just get an iPhone, like the rest of us. It's really frustrating because of certain things when you're sending them photos and sending texts, and if you're in a group chat and someone has an Android, it like it mucks up the whole group. Yeah. I I have to say I'm with you. I'm with you. But I'm sure it's not that hard to turn the volume off or down. Look, I understood she was in a tears about her son, worried that he might be suicidal. I couldn't imagine the stress that would be for a parent. But, yeah, yeah, the whole scene again, everything with Miranda and Shay. I read a great review, Shana, that someone said, or on one of the fan forums, and someone said, you know what, I actually like Shay in the scenes when they're on their own and not with Miranda. When you think about it, the scene with Tony Danza, the scenes of Che prepping for their pilot, they're actually likeable. It's just the scenes with Miranda that it just is totally a disconnect with the two of them there. I have to agree with that because I feel when Che is with other people, there's no power plays, but when they are with Miranda, there's a power play and 
that's where it irks me. It's actually a toxic relationship and it's not because they're in the same sex. It's not because Miranda is seeing this new part of herself. It's just this power play and being two different people and it's really toxic. So you've just made me think of something for the first time. Is it that Mm. I don't like Che or I don't like who Miranda is when she's with Che, which is what makes me dislike Che? Like Che might actually not be as annoying as I think they are. It's just when they're in a scene with Miranda, I just can't believe the Miranda that is being presented to me on the screen. And I, God, I'm really thinking way too deeply about this show now. <laughs> it's, and that's why it's not sitting well with me because I find it very toxic and I feel like it's not how we are looking at positive relationships at the moment. And I thought with Che and Miranda that this was all about positivity of Miranda knowing who she was as a gay person and... And celebrating that, celebrating that side of her. I just really hope Sarah Ramirez, who plays Che, can bounce back from this because they really are not getting any positive feedback on this role at all. And, you know, Sarah is an incredible performer. Did Miranda and Che leave on a yucky note? This confused me too. You know, at the very end when Che comes out of the taping and Miranda's like, oh, I've got to go back to LA. And Che's like, what? You're just leaving me? And they had that weird disagreement. And the way they left it, it was unclear to me where they stood. Did they walk away on good terms or did they walk away on the verge of breaking up? That felt really unclear to me. I I think unclear is just everything. (laughs) But whatever Che wants it to be, Miranda will accept. If it's yucky, she'll accept it's yucky. If it's all cool, she'll accept it's cool. And, you know, I, I liked how Miranda went, well, this is my son. This is this is my pain. But Che turning around going, he's just a kid, he'll be fine. And it's like, well, no, it's not. But Che was acting like a kid. Mm. So it was... See, I thought I didn't like the moment where Miranda said to Che, it's my kid, the most important thing to me. You don't know what that feels like. As someone who doesn't have kids, I could identify with that. Like it is a really cruel thing for someone to say to you. And I had someone say that to me once and it broke my heart, Shana. Like... I don't need that reinforced to me like you don't know what it feels like because you're not a real mother because you don't have real children. It's so yeah. cruel and unnecessary. Miranda didn't need to say that to Che. Yeah, and I, I think they're both saying things that they don't need to say yeah. to each other. Maybe it's hit that level of toxicity. There's so much of each other that they probably will never understand. And so <laughs> how is that going to play out in the future? Yeah, Brady, good to see Brady back. He was one of the most annoying characters last season, Miranda and Steve's son. So far, not so bad. Girlfriend broke up with him. We've all been there though, right? Your first great love. The end of that actually feels like the end of the world. And he's in another country of all places. He's been abandoned in Amsterdam. Like, hello? (laughs) (laughs) I need my mum. Can you imagine having to sit next to that kid all the way home from Europe, crying the whole way? I actually know a couple of friends who that happened to their son and like went over for this beautiful romantic holiday and then they broke up while they were away and the son was literally a mess. So that was quite real. And the great thing about they showed is that he was so vulnerable and he was actually really comfortable to cry and and call out for his mum and his dad and this is what he needs. So I thought that was really healthy in that way. And the best thing about it 
is it got Miranda back to New York where she belongs? <laughs> she's honestly the way they are dressing her when she's in LA. It's just appalling. Like, she looks like somebody who's just like, oh no, this is not good. It's not. I think that's probably part of it too because they're dressing her like she doesn't fit and she's trying to fit. Everything she walks out in while she's in LA, I'm going, oh, it's just wrong. Oh, Shana, in the last episode, I talked to Catherine Eisman about this. The cowboy boots on the beach. There needs yeah. to be an intervention with Miranda's footwear. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> she was never like a fashionista, but she was sharp. And so it's part of that self-discovery of her trying to find, her, find out who she is. And maybe you're right, she's not L.A. She's just not, She's LA. not L.A. She needs to be back in New York and we can have some IRL scenes with all the girls together and I can't wait. Let's just park <laughs> Miranda and Shay for a while. I loved seeing Lizette back, the jewellery designer and downstairs neighbour of Carrie. Is she meant to remind Carrie of a younger version of herself? I think there's a couple of things because she was right at the beginning of the episode and right at the end of the episode and I think it's that grief part of all loss because their relationship started when she literally saved her when her boyfriend was helping break up their relationship and so she was there for her then and so the fact that she comes in and she closes it because she has lost her jewellery, she's lost everything that she's worked hard for and then carries there as the words of wisdom and so that helps her heal and not be so vulnerable because what she's learnt she can then impart onto somebody else. That's sort of what I got from that. And this whole weird Mm. jewellery heist by a waiter at a swanky fashion event at Bryan Park seemed completely unlikely but I guess it was there to wrap up that whole grief storyline because Carrie was the one at the end after Lisette had all of her jewellery stolen and she said it's gone everything I worked so hard for it was perfect and now I have to start all over again and she actually says I think I know how you feel but yeah I'm so glad Carrie didn't lose that necklace because it has been everywhere it's almost like an extra character in the show the yeah. Carrie nameplate, and Seema to the yeah. rescue with the fake gun lighter was hilarious. Loved it. <laughs> but I have to say it was fun. You know, we were talking before about the MILF storyline and, you know, straight away I'm like, oh, it's so 2000. And then right at the beginning, Lisette, and I'm going to ask you because I'm not a coffee drinker, but I know I'm with everybody who drinks coffee. I am. The fact that she asked Carrie, would you like a cappuccino? <laughs> Does anyone ever have it? Does anyone have a cappuccino, let alone a My girl mother. that's in her twenties? My mother, but she she always calls it a cappuccino, and I'm like, Mum, it's not a cappuccino, it's a cappuccino, and she can't quite get it. Yeah, but no, that the cappuccino thing just threw me. It's like, <laughs> how fabulous was that final scene? Oh. The- the Australian rugby team at the end, I love those Aussie boys slide down, sit next to Carrie, and then she's like, and just like that, I got COVID. It was just that light relief and then um, the um, the rugby team just brought them back to reality. It's like, you know, it's still there. Well, what a lovely yeah. moment to uh, wrap up this podcast. Uh, we are not offended enough by the Aussies giving Carrie COVID that we're going to stop watching kind of funny absolutely not I think you know it's just that relaxed you know hey let's just you know let's mingle let's do that whoops got COVID how random though like how random of all the ways for Carrie to get COVID it's from an Australian rugby team I'm trying to trying to sort of think and I haven't looked up what's the significance of Australians in there it as you said it was quite random like it could have been 
a local rugby team. It could have been a soccer team. Why, why was it an Australian rugby it. team? More like, Aussie references, please, writers, and just like that. We'll, we'll take them all. Thank you, Shana. You are such a true fan. I love chatting to you about this show and seeing it through your eyes. It's been fantastic. Loved it. I love the fact you bring up all these themes because some of those, I, it takes me a while to piece all those together. But I'm really excited to see where the next episodes go because I feel like I'm pulling these more apart than I ever have before. There's so much to sort of really think about. So let's just let's just see where they take us yeah. further. Well, it's giving us plenty to talk about on this podcast. So thank you. I hope you'll come back and do it again yeah. with me. Absolutely. Let's go to the end. <laughs> yeah. This episode brought to you by the award-winning Sandy Gray Gin. You can find out more at sandygraywhiskey.com.au.